We are back with another edition of something we're doing. An IRC, I believe. Yes. Your face got real clear when you did that, and it scared me. <laughs> if we had video on this, people would probably never listen to the podcast again, I would imagine. <laughs> Ever. I mean, again. I'm not sure why they listen now, but if they saw our faces, I feel like that would make it a lot scarier. <laughs> Unfollow. Yeah, I don't want nightmares anymore, so you guys can fuck off. Uh, There's not enough tits in this one. Whoa, bro. Man tits. Um, <laughs> the unnecessary brevity aside, this first story is a real downer. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> we are back with Oblivion from David Foster Wallace. Uh, we're doing two stories this week because the first story is only like, I'm actually just going to read it because it's literally a flash fiction piece. I wanted to just discuss it, but the problem with it is, one, it affected me deeply. Uh, and two, without just going into your feelings about the story, I don't know how, like, there's not a lot to unpack here, I don't think, uh, other than maybe the fears of being a parent, which I am not, so at least it probably didn't hit me as hard as I imagine it hit you as a father, because this story's devastating. Yes, it is. <laughs> the, the title, Incarnations of Burned Children, should be enough to, uh, let you know what you're getting into. It's, yeah. Um, anything you want to say before I read this? I was, uh, this, this story had me shooketh and, um, yeah, it just made me really uncomfortable. And then I kind of reread it again just to make sure I like got everything and it was worse. It's kind of like worse. watching, uh, yeah. hereditary, oh, uh, that yeah. creepy movie. You watch it the first time, you're just like shocked. And then you're stupid enough to watch it again. And you're like, oh, this hit me even, I need to stop watching these. When the shock wears off and you go back and you already know what's going to happen. It's, yeah, just more devastating than anything. Because now you're thinking, you're not shocked by what happened as so much as you're, since you're expecting it. You're just like, ah, shit. Like, this is so terrible. I can't imagine if I was that kid's parent. Like, uh, I don't know if this needs, like, a trigger warning, but I'm going to read this story. So if you just want to hear us talk about it, I would just skip, like, the five minute. Like, you, you could just skip this, the, the me, the reading, and all that shit, because it's, it's <laughs> bad. It's a, it's a good story. It's just, goddamn. So, incarnations of burned children. And again, as usual, David Foster Wallace, mainly just one big block of text. Is there even a, yeah. not one paragraph break in this whole story, which is not a big yeah. story. The next story, which is like, what, 50 pages or something? Also not just <laughs> also one, one block of text. Yeah, one block of text, which I'm not a fan of. But even so, this, yeah, this story is uh, rough. So anyway, the daddy was around the side of the house hanging a door for the tenant when he heard the child's screams and the mommy's voice gone high between them. He could move fast, and the back porch gave onto the kitchen, and before the screen door had banged shut behind him, the daddy had taken the scene in whole. The overturned pot on the floor tile before the stove, and the burner's blue jet, and the floor's pool of water still steaming as its many arms extended, the toddler in his baggy diaper standing rigid with steam coming off his hair and his chest and shoulders scarlet and his eyes rolled up and mouth open very wide and seeming somehow separate from the sounds that issued. The mommy down on one knee with the dish rag dabbing pointlessly at him and matching the screens with cries of her own, hysterical so she was almost frozen. Her one knee and the bare little soft feet were still in the steaming pool and the daddy's first act was to take the child under the arm and lift him away from it and take him to the sink where he threw out plates and struck the tap to let cold well water run over the boy's feet while with his cupped hands he gathered and poured or flung more cold water over the head and shoulders and chest wanting first to see the steam stop coming off him. The mommy over his shoulder invoking God until he sent her for towels and gauze if they had it. 
the daddy moving quickly and well, and his man's mind empty of everything but purpose, not yet aware of how smoothly he moved or that he'd ceased to hear the high screams because to hear them would freeze him and make impossible what had to be done to help his own child, whose screams were regular as breath and went on so long they'd become already a thing in the kitchen, something else to move quickly around. The tenant's side's door outside hung half off its top hinge and moved slightly in the wind, and a bird in the oak across the driveway appeared to observe the door with a cocked head as the cry still came from inside. The worst scald seemed to be the right arm and shoulder, the chest and stomach's red was fading to pink under the cold water, and his feet's soft soles weren't blistered that the daddy could see, but the toddler still made little fist and screamed except maybe now merely on reflex from fear. The daddy would know he thought it possible later. Small face descended in thready veins standing out at the temples, and the daddy kept saying he was here, he was here. Adrenaline ebbing and an anger at the mommy for allowing this thing to happen, just starting to gather and wisp at his mind's extreme rear and still hours from expression. When the mommy returned, he wasn't sure whether to wrap the child in a towel or not, but he wet the towel down and did. Swaddled him tight and lifted his baby out of the sink and set him on the kitchen table's edge to soothe him while the mommy tried to check the feet's soul with one hand waving around in the area of her mouth and uttering ob objectless words while the daddy bent in and was face to face with the child on the table's checked edge repeating the fact that he was here and trying to calm the toddler's cries but still the child breathlessly screamed a high pure shining sound that could stop his heart and his bitty lips and gums now tinged with the light blue of a low flame the daddy thought screaming as if almost still under the tilted pot in pain a minute Two like this that seemed much longer, with the mommy and the daddy's side taking sing-song at the child's face and the lark on the limb with its head to the side and the hinge going white in the line from the weight of the canted door until the first seen wisp of steam came lazy from under the wrapped towel's hem and the parents' eyes met and widened. The diaper, which when they opened the towel and leaned their little boy back on the checkered cloth and unfastened the softened tabs and tried to remove it, resisted slightly with new high cries and was hot. Their baby's diaper burned their hand and they saw where the real water had fallen and pooled and been burning their baby boy all this time while he screamed for them to help him and they hadn't. Hadn't thought and when they got it off and saw the state of what was there, the mommy said their God's first name and grabbed the table to keep her feet while the father turned away and threw a haymaker at the air of the kitchen and cursed both himself and the world for not the last time while his child might now have been sleeping if not for the rate of the, his breathing and the tiny stricken motions of his hands in the air above where he lay. Hands the size of a grown man's thumb that had clutched the daddy's thumb in the crib while he'd watched the daddy's mouth move in song. His head cocked and seeming to see way past into something his eyes made the daddy lonesome for in a sideways way. If you never wept and want to, have a child. Break your heart inside and something will a child is the twangy song the daddy hears again as if the radio's lady was almost there with them looking down at what they've done. Though hours later what the daddy most won't forgive is how badly he wanted a cigarette right then as they diapered the child as best they could in gauze and two crossed hand towels and the daddy lifted him like a newborn with the skull in one palm and ran him out to the hot truck and burned custom rubber all the way to town and the clinic's ER with the tenant's door hanging open like that all day till the hinge gave, but by then it was too late. When it wouldn't stop and they couldn't make it, the child had learned to leave himself and watch the whole rest unfold from a point overhead, and whatever was lost never thenceforth mattered. And the child's body expanded and walked about and drew pay and lived in life unattended. A thing among things, its self-soul so much vapor aloft, falling as rain and then rising, the sun up and down like a yo-yo. First off, I just want to say, David Foster Wallace is difficult to read out loud because there's no breaks 
Like this, most yeah. of that was just one, like a bunch of long sentences. Like you think Cormac McCarthy's run on sentences are difficult to read out loud. Uh, that's also difficult, but yeah, that story is just messed up all the way around without just getting right into like the baby stuff too much. I really like the part where in the back of his mind, the dad blames the mom, but doesn't know he's even thinking that yet. Yeah. The part where mom, his anger at the mommy for allowing this thing to happen, just starting to gather and wisp at his mind's extreme rear and still hours from expression. He's going to be furious at her later. But in the moment yeah. of panic, he doesn't have the time to be furious or even think about it. But that blame is starting to set in, even though it's just on the outskirts of his mind. I thought that was really cool how he described that. But goddamn, like the part with the diaper, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's like, dude, like I didn't because when I was reading that, I was like, oh, man, burn child. This is terrible. But I did not expect that coming, even though it's such a short story. Yeah. It just like that completely just threw me through a loop. I was like, why? Why is this got to be so horrific? <laughs> yeah but it's something it, that could happen like that's what's scary yeah it, it totally makes sense that that would be something that happens and that this entire scenario is you know it, it might have actually happened it probably happened statistically and you know people are trying to help their baby and then all of a sudden they realize that they're still screaming because their their gonads are still being boiled alive and oh. all this stuff and it's like holy crap it, it's it's a rough intense story and like I liked that the the POV honestly didn't shift until the very end, but it, it stayed kind of with the dad because it kind of like justified his anger and everything like that. But then with the his anger towards the mom, but then at the end with the uh, with the diaper revelation, which is a weird thing to say, but uh, <laughs> it's like what are you talking about, David Foster Wallace's diaper revelation? Oh. But with that, you realize that the dad, for all his judgment on the mom for this accident, is no better because he comes in and sees her dabbing at the baby with a towel. But he's like been doing all this stuff to put cold water on him and still didn't solve anything. So he's like still on even footing. At least that's the impression I got because it's like, I mean, you're, you're still not fixing the actual root of the problem right there. I so. found it interesting, the separation of mother, father, man, woman, and how they think and act in situations such as that. Uh, like you were saying, the extreme situation, he didn't access the situation any better. He just went mm -hmm. right into action, but it even says his mind was empty. So his first thing is, hot baby, cold water, fix problem, like caveman. Yeah. And that's yeah. still better than the woman's reaction of just freezing and basically doing nothing. But the father's reaction helped matters some, but if he actually thought it through, he would have took that diaper off and limited the injury as best he could. But he didn't think like that because he panicked as well. He just his mm -hmm. his panic was what led straight to action versus her panic, which just led to her kind of freezing, uh, which you see a lot. And anytime you see some kind of public situation, it's not even really a stereotype Like because I've seen thousands of videos where. There's some kind of weird accident, car crash, train wreck, building blows up, whatever it is. It's always like a bunch of women standing there screaming, frozen in fear, and then a bunch of men just running around stupid as fuck like, oh, we, <laughs> we got to have action. We got to solve the problem. We got to fix the problem. But they don't generally fix the problem either. Sometimes yeah. they make it worse. So I thought it was very interesting how he was able to throw that all in in a story that is maybe two pages total. Yeah, and it's I like that it showed that uh, like you, like what you were getting at, that neither of their responses were actually correct or better than one another. Because um, what I took from it is that the the mom's initial reaction was to comfort 
and you know, like comfort the emotional aspect of the uh, the baby being burned. Um, that's why she was kind of dabbing and cooing or you know yelling or whatever like that, but trying to like comfort the baby while the dad is like you know screw emotion and like tearing the house apart mm. and like kicking open a well faucet and just being like ah uh, the wrath of Poseidon. But um, his his didn't solve the actual cause of the pain any more than the uh, the moms did it just his action kind of revealed that certain areas on the baby weren't as bad but it still didn't solve the problem and i thought this is a really cool look at uh kind of like responses to trauma and um like in, in specifically instinctual responses to trauma and how that can differ from you know, moms and dads, respectively. And the ending, the absolute ending, though, I would love to hear your thoughts on like, what, what, what do you, how, how you took the very, very, very end, like with the baby in the truck being driven to the hospital, like after the, uh, after the hinge, like gives on that uh, tenant door and everything like that. And it goes to like the baby was like seeing himself above himself and all this stuff. How, how do you, how do you process that? Well, it, first off, it was a really fascinating breakdown of characters you don't know anything about because you have the mom and dad. You don't know anything about them. You don't even know their names or situation. You don't even really know how old the baby is. But the way they act and react gives you a good telling of maybe the kind of people they are, how they handle the situation. And as far as the ending, I was... um. I, that point of view shift I thought was really interesting because like you said, it shows like the baby looking down on himself. And I was wondering like if this story continued, would that be the origin development of a character's future self? Mm -hmm. Like, would that be the traumatic event that shapes that character for life? I got almost the feeling that that's where it could go. Uh, but obviously mm -hmm. with it being cut off as such a short story, you don't get that. The impression I got with it was, um, with the baby, like looking down and seeing himself is sort of like an out of body experience because of the trauma of the situation. Well, it's that's, like yeah, that's what I got too. But I was just wondering, like the point of view shift is what was weird about that. Yeah. And then like, based on like the limb swelling and walking and all this stuff, and I could be totally off base. I didn't look up any papers or anything about this story. But to me, it was almost like, you know, and life goes on sort of thing mm -hmm. where the, the baby grows up and is still able to walk around and is still able, like goes about his life. And it's almost like this hyper traumatic event almost doesn't matter, but it does. But like, I, I don't I don't actually have I've tried to think about what the ending is and what it's talking about and all that for a while ever since I read it. But I just I don't have anything super concrete well that's why like, <laughs> that's why i was saying it kind of gave me the feeling of a character origin now whether he was going for something like that i don't think so um i think he was just trying to encapsulate a small moment of tragedy which he did very well mm -hmm. though i will say like your point is pretty interesting how is the moral of this story that this baby this is just an event in this baby's life but then in the future maybe if something happens to you that young, uh, for instance, I almost died when I was a baby and I had to get emergency surgery as an adult me, because I was, a you know, pretty much an infant. No, like I have no remembrance of that, no thought of that. Uh, so it doesn't affect my life. But yet it still probably does in a way that I would have never known. For instance, if I didn't have that surgery or like I didn't have whatever issue, then 
you know, that just like that wouldn't have been a part of my life. So I don't know if it would have affected me one way or the other. So this baby, if it didn't get scolded, uh, the person it grows up to be, it wouldn't have known what it was like to be scolded. So even though it might not have remembered the, you know, the tragedy, there are those scars that still linger. And I think they can subconsciously linger whether you remember them or not. Uh, so I think that'd be an interesting aspect to explore in this story. I'd love to read some papers like you. I didn't actually look up anything on this story because it was so short. And I didn't really want to dwell too much on it in this episode, but uh, this so far has been the most impactful story for me that I've read in this collection, which is interesting because it's the shortest one. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's only because it's yeah. shortest, but no, there's like so much crammed into so, so few. I, I mean, I was about to say sentences, but the sentences are long. Um, it's three sentences yeah, it's, long, but it's all like two pages yeah. a paragraph. Every sentence is heavy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's so. Uh, yeah, I think this is a really good uh, testament to how skillful of a writer he is. Like, and it it's a total one eighty from Mister um, Squishy. Yeah. In that this is like all emotion. This is all like visceral human response. Whereas Mister Squishy was devoid all, of all of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was just sterile, and so it's just so cool to to see that uh, he can write in so many different interesting ways. So, well, we probably could have did a whole episode on that story, honestly, but yeah. to move on to another pioneer. And the reason why I decided to read that last story is because I don't have too much to say about this one. I sped through it, as you know, because I just told you I was going to read it real quick. What? I was actually I was farther along in it than I thought, because it is just one endless paragraph. So mm -hmm. I was a lot farther into the story than I realized. Like, I thought I was only a couple <laughs> pages in. I was like fucking more than halfway through because um, it all reads kind of the same, too. Um, yeah. this story, I'll try to give my best explanation before we go into the synopsis or anything, but basically what I got is it's like a weirdly framed narrative where I think it's like a person hears a friend telling someone a story, uh, and it's about like this, uh, Paleolithic era kid who's like really smart and we'll get into that, but it's like a mm -hmm. guy on a plane hears a story from other people. And then he tells an acquaintance, and now the acquaintance is, and it could be like, uh, I don't know, it's like a group of people he's telling the story to. And what I got from that is maybe it's like a literary symposium or something, like it's just a bunch of people either sharing stories or something. And there's a lot of variance to this story, too. The initial story, which is of uh, this tribe, this Paleolithic tribe, I got like a South uh, America feel, like in the jungle. Yeah, um, yeah. And again, another story packed full of information. And why it's called Another Pioneer, I think, is because it's this guy who's telling the story to this group of people. He's just another person telling a story in the group. That's at least what I got out of it. It's like about this kid who he's like really, really wise. And the, the tribe, people ask him questions and he knows all the answers to it. And before we go into that too much further, I think what I got was this was kind of like... David Foster Wallace, because just from some of the interviews and some of the things I've read on him, I think this was his attempt to deconstruct like postmodernism, like a post postmodernism like this, the way he broke the story down, with the narrative and everything. And mm -hmm. I want to say the overall theme is probably something along the lines, which is, uh, from my understanding, something he's done in his other work that I haven't read yet is uh, like the burden of knowledge. Like, this is mm -hmm. the kind of um, yeah. shows that, you know, too much knowledge could be a bad thing and could be harmful. 
which he uses the example of this kid with in, like infinite wisdom because at some point this like the civilization this kid is in because he has the answers to like all their problems they're able to build up their civilization and then i think they get like attacked by another tribe like that's not jealous or something like they feel threatened by how fast this civilization like this village or whatever is uh building up yeah so there's like an this is where like one of those variants happen where this kid goes catatonic and it could be like he had like us they went through puberty and that led to him going to catatonic and i think there was some like sexual awakening thing like this part i really sped through so i'm not very because like i said this is one block of text so i was like a little out of it i didn't care for the story too much but there was a couple of like maybe he was poisoned or something either way he like goes into himself like he doesn't talk to people but when he comes out of it he has more complex answers to the questions people ask him and this is where you get the david foster wallace like is he talking about ai because he starts bringing up cpu like uh the answers he has for these people it overruns their human CPU. I think he says something along those lines. So you get mm-hmm. the, this weird, um, this weird thing where it's like, if they give him bad data, AKA they ask him a dumb question, then the his response is going to be equally as dumb or unhelpful. And it'll be a bad response. So I think it had something like, I don't know if it's an allegory for AI, if that's what he was going for, but I kind of got, that's another thing I got the feeling of. Um, I would actually love to, Find, like it's hard because a lot of these videos I find I only found uh, it's like these two guys talking about them and I really do not like <laughs> how the way how they break they're probably worse than us believe it or not so because um, <laughs> uh, there's not too many people I've seen on at least on YouTube that were breaking down Oblivion so I didn't look up the story synop- or the uh, I looked at the synopsis like on Wikipedia before I read it but I didn't um, find any like useful information for this yet so I would be interested to see if like any of these uh, ideas are like purposeful on his part or if i'm just kind of fucking digging in uh, i don't know what'd you get out of this yeah i i, I kind of i'm piggybacking on your uh, the burden of knowledge thing i didn't even think of the cpu thing with the stupid answers uh to stupid questions um i kind of got uh from this kid sort of a like a buddhistic vibe like all-knowing um you know he's like the new re- new incarnation of uh the dalai lama or whatever like that and and so is venerated and looked at. And I just saw that, uh, you know, as the knowledge grows, so this, this kid grows, he's exposed to something that sort of challenges him in some way. I think in this way, it was, it was that catatonic thing where there was like, because there was like a witch doctor from an opposing place that came in and whispered something to him in one of the stories. And then, yeah, there was a That was like one of the variants, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, yeah, I took that as like um, a, a different point of view comes in to kind of challenge him and um, all that. And, you know, he he thinks on it, he dwells on it and, you know, comes out of the state and is changed, is transformed and people are getting nervous. They don't like it as much because they're not getting the answers that they want in the way that they want. And so I kind of at that point in the story, I kind of shifted to examining the the village, honestly. And I saw that as like, because there are these really rudimentary people that can't figure shit out on their own. And so I was like, how do I, you know, water my crops? It's like, well, fucking dig water. You <laughs> idiot. Like, it's like, well, I think that's, that's where it I, went into like the bad information or the bad data or that specific answer. It wasn't, I didn't see it as like bad information. I saw it as he didn't, the villager who acquired the, uh, 
the answer didn't value it or didn't yeah. um, didn't see the application to it. So it's not that the answer was bad; it's that he didn't ask the right question. And so, in that way, I can totally see like the the CPU thing because uh, that's that was actually a really good analogy. But yeah, it's like I I saw it as um, all these villagers realizing that maybe they don't want a lot of knowledge. Maybe they don't want to be questioning everything about right. themselves and their decision and their lives. And so that's when they start trying to starve the kid. And that's when they're like, he's not dying. We're trying to starve him and he's not dying. So let's burn the village to the ground and all this stuff. And in their infinite wisdom of trying to uh, kill this source of knowledge, they end up uh, burning down the entire jungle. And so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I can see that as not necessarily society. I don't want to apply it to society, but to to people being like, hey, I'm, I'm getting the source of information, but now I'm being challenged. And now I'm, I'm being asked to stretch and examine my way of thought. No, 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 no. I don't want that. I'm happy in my ignorance. I'm happy in my stupidity. So I want to go back to that. In fact, I want to go back further than when I was getting this knowledge to when we didn't have knowledge. And we uh, like, I want to go back to a hunter gatherer sort of mindset. You know, I just took it as sort of a, a caricature of um, how, you know, a lot of people act and a lot of people behave when given access to all this information. Well, but I think I could be wrong just from the work we've read so far in this about information. And uh, I think David Foster Wallace, which might have played into his de ultimate demise, was his, he had the understanding that infinite knowledge is not good. And the more you know, the more evil you can see, the more wickedness you can see. Uh, you're able to perceive things that obviously an ignorant person wouldn't be able to. I think we all, to a degree, feel some of these things. But a guy like him who is so intelligent and who can really feel and break down things would definitely look into having knowledge, like too much knowledge as a burden. And then obviously there's more about like society. Even, they like, say all these tribes people... All these tribes people in this story, they weren't dummies. Maybe they had the same knowledge as the kid. Well, then what happens? Is that mm -hmm. a positive? Would that be positive if there were no idiots or people who don't know things? I don't know. Uh, that'd be something to explore, too. Believe it or not, I just happened to open and found the CP one of the CPU passages, <laughs> which is almost impossible to do in this story or like any of these stories is just open it to the right page because it's just it's like it text. was meant to be. It was. Uh, but this is what I was talking about with like why I think this might be uh, at least the end here is uh, more about AI, uh, because I think that would be something David Foster Wallace would have feared uh, is the advancement of AI and what that could mean for society. And pretty mm -hmm. much maybe the I won't say the extinction of humanity, but it would make us unnecessary, which is something I fear, too, when they're playing around with this stuff is like, do we really need something that knows everything? <laughs> I don't want that. I would make me useless. Like um, we've we've watched Terminator. Stop <laughs> it. Uh, but this is literally I'm at the bottom of the page where this line is and. If I look at the, like I can't find the paragraph beginning, it's on one of the previous pages. So I'm just gonna break in where there's an M dash. Um, so, so the sentence is going on forever. Then there's an the M dash, and then it continues with the dialogues and exchanges often now sending questionnaires staggering back to their lean tos to lie curled fetally on their sides with rolling eyes and high fevers as their prim primitive CPUs tried frantically to reconfigure themselves. Uh, then he goes on more about that. 
but there, I think there's a couple instances where he brings up these CPUs, which yeah, is no, like he starts going into computer talk, and I think he actually italicizes a lot of because uh, he like he does a thing where he italicizes a lot of like literary terms, and I'm not quite sure what the purpose of that was. Um, that's where I kind of got like the post postmodernism, like the him trying to break down postmodernism uh, with all like these literary terms and stuff. Because a lot of them were words that like, I looked up and I, cause I didn't know what they meant. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, these are all references to literary terms. Um, so that was that's definitely something I'm going to have to look up more detailed later because I don't know what that is, what that's supposed to mean in the story. But the CPU stuff, like there's a lot or not a lot, but like it's weird. Why would you pick those terms talking about like these Paleolithic people? Because you know, if you're talking about something in the past, now you're talking about modern technology and incorporate. That's why. I, that's why I just am stuck on like this AI thought. If mm-hmm. that's correct, I don't know. Um, I just kind of get a feeling because I I think he would be the kind of guy that would think deeply about that kind of stuff and what that would mean for humanity. This is one of those stories that makes me feel really stupid. By the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> he just uh, the way he writes and like I said, especially like those literary reference, which I don't know if you really paid much attention. Because they're all italicized if you look through mm-hmm. them. Uh, why would he do that? I don't... Yeah, I don't I don't really have a... Yeah, that's... Other than, like, I know uh, when, when writing you italicize something, uh, you often stress that. But, you know, given that, you know, definition or use of an italicized word, it's like, I still don't understand how italicizing a literary reference has any bearing on what's going on so maybe maybe we're totally off maybe this is about like you know the publishing industry or you know you know the clinton's love life behind closed doors i don't know like like you said it's like well here's an example this (laughs) this is just on the the following page of what i just read which might still be one sentence i don't know the word here is lumpen which is italicized i never heard this word either by which point the village's whole social structure and citizenry from Exshark to Lumpen is in an uproar of cultural disorientation and anxiety and anti-child sentiment, and that goes on forever. But Lumpen is, in Marx, Marxist context, uninterested in revolutionary advancement. But again, he italicized that because he could have just you know, said what that definition is. He didn't have to use that specific word. But he does that multiple times, even on here. Like, there's another one at the bottom. Um, I'm, this is, what is this fucking French? Let me look what this means. <laughs> the consultants theorized about just what fatal questions the dissimilated Magus or June Fille Dure might have whispered into the boys. Is that a person? I don't. <laughs> Let me look at Maybe. that. Maybe. I wonder if uh, the um, italicization is from um, because this is a, a story heard from a story heard from a story. And then I think back one more. So if this is like if the italicized things is. Like the narrator that is telling us the story is like everything that's not italicized is how he's telling it. But when he wants to be specific mm-hmm. about what he heard from somebody else, maybe that's when he's using that word. Perhaps because he yeah. did. He was talking about like how he constantly referred to like how the two guys in the seat, uh, one of them was kind of having to talk down to the other guy. He had to be As very concise, had, slow, and clear. Like he, the guy didn't speak uh, good English. Uh, that's almost how he described it. Yeah, and then but the guy listening to those two is like some super brilliant dude, and that's when all the uh, the technical some of the technical jargon I got was uh, from that guy. Well, that's why but, I thought maybe the uh, the 
the story that's being told, like the one framing of the narrative where it's like a group. Like I thought that's why maybe that was a literary symposium or something, something along mm-hmm. those lines where it's a bunch of super. Because again, like you said, the italicized words is that them saying those words, and maybe that's why it highlighted them because that's the person's exact like phrasing. Um, yeah, but but still, there seems to be a meaning there because why do all that? Uh, I, I, it's almost one of the stories you'd have to read again. I think. And like Are really maybe to? take note. I'm not going to, but uh, <laughs> take notes. I got other shit to read, man. Um, but I thought that was just like really interesting. Uh, as far as the actual story goes, I just wasn't that interested in it. Uh, I didn't really care what happened to the kid with all knowing wisdom. Uh, if he got his head chopped off, I would have been all right with that. Uh, especially coming from the other story we just read. It just didn't seem to have that much effect on me. I'm not really like you're more into like the weird style postmodern fiction than I am. Like this kind of stuff and the way it's written, I just I, I really have a struggle to care. Like the soul is not a smithy. I really really enjoyed that story, but it was written slightly mm-hmm. different. And the, I thought the narrative framing in that was really cool versus the narrative framing in this one. I thought was like, yeah, it's more like if I'm not paying attention, I don't know who the fuck's talking. Like I don't really <laughs> care that much. Um. <laughs> I like this story a lot more than I like the uh, Mr. Squ- uh, Mr. Squishy. I just pretty much hate it. I just did not like that story. <laughs> like you said, it was sterile and it didn't make me feel anything but annoyance. I didn't want to <laughs> read that story. Um, this story I enjoyed more than that one, though. I will say uh, if I didn't read it, I I would have been taken away just as much. Like it, it didn't have much of an effect on me. Uh, but you said yeah. you enjoyed it, right? So Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting. In my head, it was kind of like hearing... I don't know, sort of like a documentary or something like that, or but not so scientifically factual because everything that's going on, I think even the village itself, it's not necessarily that it even happened or, or it's unclear on if this happened. It's like it was like a story told by somebody, so it might have been real. It might, so I kind of really, I, I jived with the, the possibility that it wasn't real, but that we're invested in it. And I just kind of like the the way that it was broken down and the sort of removed um, narration style, so that you're kind of looking at every, looking at everything like they're test subjects. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say it's my favorite story out of the collection, but um, it was definitely it, it kept me interested. So when my kids were asking for something to eat, I was like, "No, go away. <laughs> Make your own gruel." <laughs> um, I. I think maybe one thing that turned me off about this story is I'm not a huge fan of the unreliable narrator. If done uh, in certain ways, I I don't mind it, but I'm more of a guy who likes certainties. I don't like things (laughs) that can just be, you know, maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it's a hundred percent bullshit. Like, which for fiction is kind of stupid thing to say. Like it's fiction. It's not real (laughs) anyway, but you know, I, uh, I, like when we go to our wonderful favorite book we ever covered of all time, uh, House of Leaves, they had an unreliable mm. narrator in that, and I didn't mind that unreliable narrator because he's like a stupid drug addict fuckface. But the way it's done in this story, <laughs> it's like I don't know. It just didn't, like it didn't seem important to me. I don't like there. So you don't, you don't like, really get to know the narrator. I think maybe that's the problem. Yeah, you you like stupid unreliable narrators, not smart unreliable narrators. Unless they're a serial killer, that's what I'm then doing. they could be smart. Oh, but I don't like. Yeah, I, don't, I like stupid drug addicts. That's what. <laughs> uh, that's what I want to read about. Uh, guys who watch puppies get killed in the street and whatever other horrible shit was in that awful dumpster fire of a book. Oh my gosh. 
if I can rant oh, for a second, goodness. why the hell do you have such a cool story inside of a big shitty book? I don't understand because, like, folks, listen to our House of Leaves. No, House of Leaves. Folks, listen to our House of Leaves episode. You'll hear my gripe, but it's just like there's such a cool story to be had in there, and then we just like throw all this dumb shit. Going back to postmodernism, like, why do we have to experiment to the gr- degree that you ruin the actual cool story? I, I, I just don't know. <laughs> Like, we don't have to have upside-down French and fucking random Italian words and all the other dumb shit that you wrote in the back of a dumpster. Like, just, no. Like, <laughs> you don't need all that. So does that mean you're not reading Jerusalem? I'll get back to it. I want to say <laughs> that I'm very hit or miss with postmodernism, and I think I'm more hit than miss, because most of the stuff that I've read has been, like, James Joyce, like... Uh, oh, I, mean, I don't know. Do you count? Uh, I haven't read them yet, but like William Faulkner. Do you count like Sound and the Fury, like Stream of Consciousness for a whole book, or maybe some Shirley Jackson Stream of Con? Like, would you consider that postmodernism? I think anything I that's cons- not like a straight narrative, maybe. Do you mean uh, Virginia Woolf, not Shirley? Yeah, Jackson. Virginia Woolf, not Shirley. Okay, Wolf. I was like Shirley Jackson's totally not. Um, Virginia Woolf, the her, yeah, I'd I'd put that up there. It's very, it'd be like an early sort of seed planting of that um faulkner i've not read enough of i read uh as i lay dying that was all stream of consciousness wasn't it yeah but i i don't know it i I got it all so i thought i enjoyed it to the degree that i could but it's kind of depressing but yeah there's i like experimental fiction i just think you can do it wrong (laughs) obviously (laughs) not everything's gonna hit you know you can't always uh hit a home run when it comes to your experimental fiction so you're such an old man you're like one of the you're you're with the government you can experiment no not that way i like my <laughs> books a to z with the straight narrative none of them fancy holiba boots i want my old man in the sea is what i want i don't want no old man in the sea that suddenly turns young while he's out to sea and then he gets old again i don't want it <laughs> i don't want no fish talk i want sharks and that's it you don't talk about that they're alive you just catch them i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> uh, but anyway i don't yeah postmodernism is uh you know why i'll tell you why because i hate postmodern art I hate this goddamn contemporary art that you see where it's like, oh, it's a water fountain. Your eyeballs scaring me. <laughs> see that what you just did real close to the screen? Postmodern art right there. Yep. Ash's face up close. Pay me a million dollars. Fuck you. The shade, <laughs> this painting is called Shades of Red, and it's just one shade of red. I'm like, why is this? What? I don't get no. You see, you're not, <laughs> if you're not seeing all the shades of red, then you're not really seeing, are you, man? Art. $20 million. <laughs> art. <laughs> It's almost, you know what though? That I would take that any day over fucking NFTs. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a fan. That is. It's like you get a coupon in the mail for. I, I don't know. It's like, oh, hey, you bought this fake art online that's not real physical art, and you, uh, here's a receipt. You own it. Everybody else can own it, but you actually own it. So you know, if you download a picture of, uh, I don't know, it's like a famous meme. Um, are they, I'm trying to think of one that's so like that. Was it Bad News Brian or Douchebag yeah. Daryl? One of those dumb shit. <laughs> it's just it's like, oh, you know, this thing that's been around for 20 years or since the end, like the fucking Zuma Zuma kid or whatever from like the late 90s. It's like that kid could be an NFT now, that video. And then you can still watch it. Everybody can watch it for free, but one guy owns it. Like, what's the point? Yeah, I don't get it. Like, you lost me with the, everyone else can look at it. And, oh, yeah, you can download it. I just it. don't get it. Like, so. And what's the point? I can like, create. Where, where does the money go? 
I can have a picture, like a fucking stick figure I drew, and I could put it online, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this an NFT. And then I sell it for $1 million to some random rich guy. Now, he owns that picture, just the digital picture. It's not a physical picture that you can hold. But say Ashley likes the stick figure. He goes on Google, looks it up. There it is. He downloads it. He has the exact same thing the guy with the NFT for a million dollars has. Uh, you just don't technically own it. What? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck's the uh, point? I don't I'm sure it. I explained that badly, but from the gist of what I understand, that's exactly what it is. You just own a receipt to a piece yes. of art. Most of it's not even art anymore. It's just garbage. I think Kanye West maybe did. Did he do an album? Somebody did like an <laughs> album or a song where it's supposed to be NFT. Or, I don't know. Everybody's dumb. Everybody in this world is stupid now, so... I have things I want to talk to you off air, too, that'll make you very angry, but we'll we'll get to that later. Um, Anyway, folks, this is going too long. Talking fucking... When I start rambling, old man voice, you know we've gone too far. (laughs) The next story I'm actually very excited to read. Um, Good Old Neon. Oh, that one's really good. Yeah, I am excited to read that one, and we'll do a whole episode based on that one. And then after that, I think we only have, what, three or four stories left? You just need to make sure that you uh, give Nitro a big hug afterwards. Oh, yeah. good God. It's not more burning babies, but in dog form, is it? Because I can't. No, no. Uh, no, no burning baby dog forms. I don't want that. But yeah, we after after good old names. So we have four stories left. Let's just put it that way. I don't know why I'm breaking yeah. it down so stupidly. Um, and you said Oblivion was trash, so I'm not looking forward to that. But we'll get there <laughs> when we get there. Uh, maybe that'll be a short episode. So we thank you for listening. And um, yeah, man. Be postmodern like Ashley and write a bunch of nonsense. That's what I do, man. And sell it as an NFT. <laughs> <laughs>